0: Welcome to Talent Hub Talk. I am Ben Duncan, and this is a place where prominent and inspirational figures from both the local ANZ and global Salesforce Ohana share their stories. In today's episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Anand Narasimhan, Anand is the CTO at s and previously spent 15 years working for Salesforce. He was the 11th person to become a Salesforce CTA globally and has sat on many, many CTA review boards as a judge, including being involved in judging the first 10 CTAs. Anand shares some insight into how he first came to work for Salesforce, which technological advancements he has been most interested in, and explains how he sees tools like ChatGPT being used in the enterprise. Anand also talks me through where he sees opportunities for advancement in the internal collaboration space, how Slack may play a role in this, and what he is most excited about for the future and his role at S-Docs. I really enjoyed having Anand as a guest, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Anand, thank you so much for joining me.
1: All right. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for taking the time. I know it's late evening for you. Appreciate you being flexible enough to Calm
0: my schedule. Oh, any time. I'm really keen to hear more about your journey, and I'm really excited to unpack that. So uh, I would have done it at any time of night, but uh, but yeah, glad we're here now. So look, I, I, obviously uh, you've been in the ecosystem for a long time, and I think um, some of the people listening to this might not know your background and, um, and and your journey. So what what I'd like to know, because you were a, an early entrant into the world of Salesforce and, and cloud computing. What was it that originally, uh, I guess, excited you about moving into this space and and specifically joining Salesforce way back when? And back then, did you envisage that you would still be working in the ecosystem now in 2023?
1: (laughs) I mean, that's a funny question. I laugh because uh, my Salesforce journey was completely unplanned. Zero attraction to Salesforce. I I had heard of Salesforce. um, So way back in, I think it was 2000. Right after college, I I came on a business trip to the U.S. and working for a learning management or an e-learning company was kind of quite all the rage uh, back then. And we had this uh, vision of building a learning community. Sounds familiar? So we were looking for inspiration of what a web-based, no-software learning community would look like. Uh, This was 2000, right? And our UX designer, her, her name was Melody, she showed us Salesforce. This was probably what seven years into Salesforce's journey. So it looked completely different than what a lot of people are used to. There was this particular widget for account hierarchy that had like a tree mode. And for whatever reason, I was enamored with that UX widget and kind of built it. And Obviously, I was just out of college and it was the worst performing widget ever. For like 100 records, it would run for like 10 seconds. Uh, this is 2000, so browsers weren't as performing. so. I had heard about Salesforce, and then I since moved on from that company to an offshoring SI, Cognizant Technologies, came over to the US on an immigrant visa, and then I'd spent about five and a half years with these guys, uh, was deep into the Java land. It was kind of like getting to become a technical lead, it was hardcore programmer, um, all that stuff. And out of the blue, someone in LinkedIn in 2007, and that was probably early days of LinkedIn. I don't know how I got into LinkedIn either, uh, but I got into it. Out of the blue, a uh, person by the name, Brian Robinson. And, and, I, and I shared his name because um, he probably hired the first 10 to 12 architects at Salesforce in North America. And these are like heavyweights today. Myself, Sohail, who some of you might have heard, Sachin, a bunch of these guys. He said, hey, you know, are you interested in joining Salesforce? I'm like, and it was around the time when I was looking for, what do I do next? I said, Salesforce. Okay. All right, Brian, let's, let's talk. My first interview, I took it in my car because I wasn't very serious about it. I was a decent paying job. I was not very ambitious. It went well. And then they said, hey, can you come down to New York, uh, the New York office, and we'd love to do a panel. I'm like, okay, sure. And then again, totally not serious about the job. Didn't wear a suit, nothing, right? I was just in formal pants. Uh, Funny enough, my wife and I were less than a year into uh, our, our wedding journey, our marriage journey. And we said, have you never been to Central Park? Let's just go. So she actually came along with me to New York for the panel. And she was sitting maybe about 50 feet from where I was actually doing the interview. Again, like totally not serious. And I'm I'm reemphasizing the point of how not serious I was. So I met with Mary, who some of the listeners might know, a few others... And then I like then we had lunch, went to Central Park, did our thing, went back home, and then Thanksgiving came along. We went out to Florida for like our official honeymoon. And then I was in Disney Epcot, I think. And then I saw this email from Brian saying, Hey, we'd like to make you an offer. It, it was important because it is totally accidental. I had not heard of Salesforce at all. And then I joined my boss with a person by the name Rob Pickerel, who's kind of another legend in Salesforce. I, I call him like the godfather of Salesforce architects because he stood up that team. My first call, he was in Atlanta, I was in New Jersey. My first call was like, hey, you know, and I asked him a very simple question. I said, hey, look, I'm a Java guy. Yeah, I'm a hardcore programmer. Um, I have zero background in CRM. I have never, I don't even know how to spell Siebel. And my first week was Siebel this, CRM this, that, this, 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 and all that. like, why did you hire me? I have zero background in CRM. He's like, hmm, sure. How about this? Why don't you go through the whole process? We'll talk in about six months and you can ask me that question again. And till date, and I ended my career at Salesforce 15 years this past January in 2023. And I have never asked that question to him again. Never. Long-winded answer to it was a complete accident. And I'm so happy the accident happened for a variety of reasons. uh, Because I would have never imagined being in the Salesforce ecosystem for 15 years. So when I introduce myself to customers, I say I joined Salesforce. When Apex was just announced to be GA, Visual Force was in Dev Preview, and all we had was S-Controls. And we were a single cloud product. Service Cloud didn't even exist. And it was not called Sales Cloud. It was called Salesforce. Actually, it was called Salesforce.com. And the logo was no software. Astro, Chari, all the various mascots did exist. It was kind of interesting. We had a a fabulous time trying to solve the problems that today are somewhat trivial.
0: Yeah, I can imagine it. I mean, what a journey! Did you did you see it as a risk when you joined?
1: Maybe uh, coming from where I was, uh, yes, right. Like, and we had not decided whether we were going to stay in the US for long. We were just just married, so we're like, let's take it one step of the way. In fact, my wife didn't know I was kind of going through all this interview. So I came home. I said, "Hey, there's this interview process. Let's just go." We went through all the process. They got the offer letter. And then I went back to work at Cognizant. And then I just told my boss, I'm leaving. I came back home and I said, hey, well, I've accepted the offer itself." So She's like, what? She didn't know how to drive. She was in a completely new country. She, was, she had spent less than a year at, year in this country. I had never traveled uh, for work until then, right? And at that point, Salesforce was Monday to Thursday kind of thing. So she freaked out a bit. So there was a lot of risk there. We said, look, you know, it's honestly speaking, better pay. I, I was probably not sure what I was getting into right? Like, absolutely not sure. I was just like, look, they needed some technical talent. In fact, I, I felt a little appreciated by calling, they call me a technical architect. In the world that I was in, architect was held in a, on a pedestal, right? Like, these are guys that think about awesome distributed systems and all that. But yes, huge risk, totally unknown, made me uncomfortable. And honestly, I think that's kind of what I loved was it made me extremely uncomfortable. Ever since then, I've try to get as uncomfortable as I really can in every job, every role that i had since
0: then. Obviously, you asked your boss, why, why did you hire me? But how quickly did you realize that you were on a rocket ship?
1: I'd say like maybe after my first or second project. Back then, projects uh, were about four to six weeks. <laughs> I laughed because the last one that I did after I, before I left Salesforce was about 20 months. Four to six weeks. So within about two months, I started feel like, hmm, there's something that I actually can contribute. And there was like ideas flowing out of my head about what we could do with the capabilities of Salesforce back then. And that was like, okay, maybe I didn't make a good decision. And that was around the time when I want to say culture, people and everything was so important for Salesforce. Um, we were actually a very small company at that time. I want to say I was probably employee 2800, 2800. Mark Benioff had a company all hands. He's like, I love any questions. There was no chatter, by the way, back then. So he's like CEO at Salesforce. So I was kind of like the naive, you know, new joiner. I just sent a note to CEO at Salesforce with an idea. And 15 minutes later, he looped in. He wasn't the CEO, uh, George Hu, for those who remember him. Um, he's now, I think, the CEO for Twilio, if I'm not mistaken. He replied uh, and looped in George and said, maybe you should talk to George about it. I mean, now it was a silly idea. So I never bothered to kind of pursue it, but it was like wow okay someone's actually responding a ceo and mark's stature even then was kind of big and he was in the news and all that stuff but gosh i mean that that was kind of like okay there is this the ceo that was super down to earth approachable and that taught me a lot right like it it, it kind of imbibed about what a leader should be is being there for his employees
0: yeah, hundred percent. Now I have to ask you because um, I, I've I've had a lot of CTAs on the podcast over the years, um, but I don't think I've had anyone that has been as early in that process as you. So I had Irina, who was the first female CTA in the US, but you you were um, I think eleventh. Yes, I was number eleven. But that wasn't your first involvement in the the whole
1: program. It was not. So. Uh, The reason I was number 11 is because I had to certify the first 10 in order to get certified myself. So my involvement, I kind of forget the date that CTA started. I want to say maybe 2009, 10, maybe is around the time when it started. Um, So one fine day, Rob, my boss, maybe my boss's boss at that time, he said, Hey, you know, there's this architect program. I've nominated you to be a judge. I'm like, once again, I'm like, what the heck? I mean, I... (laughs) what do you want me to do? What is supposed to be judging? And what am I judging? He's like, don't worry. You know, we've kind of talked about it. So we got a kickoff and we were talking about it. And we had our first two beta candidates. Uh, First one was Sachin. So Sachin actually was the first CTA ever. uh, Sachin Rangan. You should have him in the podcast, by the way. Um, He's actually pretty cool. And then the second one was Fred. um, Fred Stute. I think he was in Australia back then. He's since on a... Japan and he's doing things that are totally outside of Salesforce now. But those two were like, and I think one of them was like at midnight because Fred was, it was either his midnight or our late evening, one of those. And the beta and the the first two beta boards, I want to say took us about six hours each to judge. And it was brutal because we had no idea uh, how we we're going to do it. There was just differing opinions. Well, that's wrong. And you no, know, sharing rules don't work that way. And that can't be done declaratively. So we were arguing about solutions. And it was honestly fun because we were actually solving the scenario as much as the, the two candidates were solving themselves. I think we shaped the program in, in many respects. The judging process was new. There was kind of like some constructs that come with certifications on key parameters to judge and all that. But at that time, review boards had five people. There were four technical people and then one person that had like a somewhat functional technical background, but not necessarily technical. And it was kind of interesting to see all those varying uh, conversations about things. And I think that kind of shaped what was important for being an architect. It taught me a lot, to be honest, right? And it got me uncomfortable about a lot of things like governance, for example, because being a technical mind, I never kind of thought about governance. But then hearing a lot of these guys speak about governance and these different ideas and Scrum and Agile and Scrum fall and whatever made me think about, okay, maybe I should go read something up. And it kind of taught me to go and seek some of this. And, and to me, being a CTA judge, I actually learned more than... The candidates. I mean, I don't know if I should be saying that, but I learned these nuances about the platform that you never get time to play around with. And it was fascinating. So we shaped the program for a while. We were kind of like how we were judging and how we were scoring was interesting. We were using Google Sheets. The irony of us being Salesforce and using Google Sheets to kind of judge was super, super interesting. Uh, and then we helped shape and build the first app. Ironically, the first app was a visual basic software app installed on our computers. The viewers can figure out the irony in that. How do we judge? What's the right thing? And what's, what's the weightage? It grew. And at some point, we started to love these sessions, right? And it went from one session in a day to two in a day. And we would do about 10 in a week. So it would take about three, four hours for each session. And I think now we're down to a science of having two, but with enough breaks. And I think it's an hour and a half right now.
0: Obviously, over the years, you continue to sit on review boards. You've, um, you, you've probably done as many as anyone or, or right up there in terms of being a judge. A lot of people that listen to this are on that CTA journey. So what would be like a message you would want to get across to potential CTA aspirants that are going through that journey? like As a judge, what would you want them to know walking into that room?
1: Yeah, so I, I probably this applies to anything outside of CTA as well, right? So there's three core principles that I actually tell everyone, right? Number one, be a really good problem solver, right? It's super important for you to tackle the problem at hand. Second is adapt yourself. You will be wrong. We don't expect you to get everything 100% right. In fact, I would say not everyone actually has gotten it right all the time. So don't be 100% right. I mean, you know, even for the certification exam, the passing score is anywhere from 66% to like 72%. They expect you to not have a 30% of the answers wrong, right? So adapt your answers you could be wrong. And then when a panel prompts you for something, don't expect that you were wrong in that. Sometimes they're just wanting to know if you can go to the next level of detail. And the third is actually bringing it all together with a very coherent articulation of your solution. Because when you have like point solutions that don't connect to each other in, in the scenario, it's hard to follow. And it feels like, you're just throwing arrows at problem. And a lot of people just throw a whole bunch of like word soup around like flows and governor limits and all this. And sure, governor limits are important. It's actually the best thing I like about the platform. But governor limit in the context of the scenario, you've got, you know, 100,000 requests per hour. Therefore, you may be at risk of running into this API limit or you might have a concurrent Apex limit or document storage is... Only so far in Salesforce, you might want to offload that to it. So put it in context of the scenario. So those are the four things, right? So problem solving, adaptability, well-connected articulation, and think on the feet. At the end of the day, it might sound like real-life architects are not thinking on the feet. I actually think the best and practicing architects think on their feet every time. Customers walk in and they're like, well, I need to be able to do this. And then like you need to ramble out six solutions in your head and then say three and one of them needs to be realistic and feasible.
0: Yeah. And it's quite a daunting thing, right? You go in, you've got, especially when it's face-to-face and now obviously a lot of them are done on video, but I think a lot of people, their perception is that the judge doesn't want them to pass or, you know, is looking for holes in their solution. Like everyone that walks into their room, you want them to walk out with a pass, right? You want them to achieve the, the outcome.
1: Yes. We try extremely hard to pass the candidate. Like we know what the journey that, they've gone through, right? Like some of them take a year sometimes and it's a struggle and some of them have been through it multiple times and so it's a little more intimidating when you come back for the second time. So completely empathize with it. We try extremely hard. So that's another thing I would add to the earlier list is the judges here are trying hard to get you to pass. It's like your professors in universities, right? Like they don't want to fail you. They actually want to help you learn and actually get through so that you get your degree.
0: So um, obviously Salesforce pioneered cloud computing um, and you've been in the ecosystem for, for a long time. So what other, over those years of, of you being in the Salesforce world, what other technical advancements have kind of really taken your focus and, and I guess grasped the, the most interest from, from you?
1: Obviously I'm influenced by recent events, but I won't start with the recent ones. I think the, the notion of just SaaS and everything as a service without needing software, I think has been constantly reinvented so many times. It's mind-boggling that still SaaS stays as a concept really well. I think Salesforce popularized the SaaS model. The other thing, I wouldn't say it's technological advancements, but there's probably a, a bit of a pull and a push around data. Data security is becoming so important that there's tons of advancements on data security. Salesforce, for the longest time, would never work if the data didn't exist in Salesforce. Right, which was okay when it was 15 years ago, 20 years ago, when all you had was contacts, emails. Most people didn't even have fo- mobile phones back then. Contacts, emails, your deal size. But nowadays, with the advent of data breaches and the security and the compliance, right, GDPR. CCPA and every country starting to become super careful about their citizens' data and how interconnected that data is in in the social media as well as your personal life. I think data security uh, is one advancement. And honestly, there hasn't been a great solution. That's becoming super important for CTOs and architects is my data, it's my consumer data. Think about like large B2C consumer grade uh, customers like uh, the retailers, the insurance providers, the healthcare providers. You don't want to keep copies of your data in so many different places. One small breach is all that you need, right? And it's kind of almost the wedge to an iceberg that's going to break away. For example, uh, Data Cloud, which was called uh, Genie, that was called CDP prior to that, announced, I think, about six months ago at Dreamforce, this data virtualization partnership with Snowflake. Snowflake has come a long way. That's an advancement and a trend. I've not gone deep into it. So I don't quite understand Snowflake's value proposition. But essentially what Salesforce said is don't copy data. We'll virtualize that data into CDP. You can do the marketing, you can do the journey management. So I think that's a huge advancement. But then obviously in the last eight to 12 weeks, AI probably leapt about a couple of decades forward. Everyone, their mother and their grandfather seems to talk about ChatGPT. It's an interesting space. I'll say that, much right? It has been evolving for such a long time. It's almost like, I think, Mark... Benioff said it's a tsunami. I'd probably say it's a volcano. Bad metaphor for uh, something that's supposedly good for uh, the world. But it's been boiling and boiling and boiling and boiling. And it's finally starting to flow out. And people are starting to see the beauty and maybe also a little bit of the dangers of generative AI. But I think it truly is important. And that's that's one that I'm actually super pumped about. Again, I, I... looked at AI from a distance. Personally, I've delivered some large projects at Salesforce. Salesforce has a lot of capabilities with AIs and Einstein and so many things. I feel like in many cases, companies, humans are not ready to accept the AI. Maybe ChatGPT kind of pushed it over the ledge a little bit where it became more accepted, but it's still not there in the enterprise. And I'm kind of like waiting and watching to see what, what that's going to bring.
0: My next question was going to be around that. And it's also interesting you talk about the last kind of eight to 12 weeks because you're a technologist, right? More so than definitely myself. But it seems like all of a sudden ChatGPT is just here and people have been talking about like, oh, the robot's going to take human jobs and all of this stuff. And then all of a sudden it's here. Like, and it kind of, it seems to have come from nowhere, but I'm sure that's not the case because obviously they haven't just built that overnight. It's something that's been developed over many years, I'm sure. But where does that fit into the enterprise? Like you mentioned, Mums, dads, nans, uh, granddads, they're all playing around with it at home. But where do you see the opportunity and the impact that it's going to have on the enterprise? I'm, I'm thinking because
1: um, that's where I actually struggle. And this is why I've not embraced it as much as I would as a technologist. Italy banned ChatGPT, right, for privacy reasons. And uh, there was someone, I don't know how true this is, but I'll have to actually check for myself. It was someone asking ChatGPT, can I put pineapple on pizza? And ChatGPT says, yes, you can. And the, the, the fun for the true pizza enthusiasts and the true Italians is that you never put pineapple on pizza. I, I, for one, actually love pineapple and jalapenos and pizza, but I'm digressing. I think the enterprise notion of AI in general and the enterprise notion of ChatGPT is still evolving. Salesforce, of course, announced Einstein GPT. I'm kind of curious what they will make out of it, but but let's break that down a little bit of what they announced, and then I'll come to general purpose chat GPT and AI as well, right? So Einstein GPT, there was a whole bunch of like predictive tools, I think, for agents agents where you could kind of do recommended responses. Some of that kind of existed even prior to that announcement, so it probably was a good marketing splash in that respect. They had the Apex and test code generator stuff. Sure, was that awesome? I think so, but it's not going to revol- it's not going to eliminate the armies of developers, right? In my opinion, that whole thing is going to take the citizen developers, the no code armies, and actually make them low code armies because you're, now you have this really capable language model that understands programming constructs that you can actually tell it, "Hey, I want to basically write a trigger." for on the contact objects that copies the email and creates a campaign member, right? Super trivial example. Now, for a no-code person, an administrator or a business analyst, that's super daunting. But the reality is they put it in ChatGPT. It actually gives you not just the trigger code, it actually gives you the test class code with it. That's great. So it's a learning tool. Um, in fact, that's why GitHub has it and its co-pilot. Other companies are starting to evolve and make it a co-pilot. I'd love for Salesforce and anyone from Trailheads actually listening, integrate ChatGPT into Trailhead. Trailhead's a pretty good learning platform. Make it more intelligent and smart by making it Trailhead. Maybe give it clues and whatnot, right? So I think it's a learning tool. And I, I know, every day on LinkedIn, I see but look at what ChatGPT can do. And if you look beho- beyond it, it's actually... A great productivity and productivity is when you've learned something faster than your usual way. The other day, I was asking some question and it gave me at least a snippet of code that probably would have taken me a few hours to figure out and then allowed me to adapt. In that sense, it's a learning tool. And let's look at general purpose AI, right? Why did people fall in love with ChatGPT? Yes, the AI part's smart, but Google's probably 10x, 100x, 1000x better in a lot of this, right? And Google search is evolving nowadays. Way back then, you would put in a question and it would be a bunch of links, ranked and all that stuff. Now, it actually attempts to answer the question first and then it'll give you the links, right? So, I mean, I was hearing this podcast with their CEO and he said, we've been an AI-first company. We've just been more careful about what we launch. Smart Compose, for example, in Google Docs, in Gmail, in Slides, all of that is powered through AI. That existed three years ago. We use Smart Compose, I use it every day. It works on a mobile phone, it works on your desktop, It works on every one of Google's uh, things that existed three years ago. Why didn't anyone talk about it? Actually, I like the fact that no one talked about it because it's so embedded into the workflow. And that, I think, Google's cracked the enterprise use case. But guess what? They've actually figured out how to make people more productive rather than thinking. Now, they're amping that up with their ChatGPT equivalent. But the number one reason why ChatGPT got super, super interesting for everyone, according to me, was its interface. Google was simple. It was a text box that I could ask, that I could put anything and it would give me a result. ChatGPT just took that and said, I could ask anything by simply starting with a simple question. So the conversational interface nature of ChatGPT is what I believe made it super viral. Because if you're talking about a generational shift of like min- millennials and Gen Xers versus our age, versus even our parents' age, grandparents and parents actually understood ChatGPT because it was super simple It said, ask me a question. The response was as if a human was talking. So the whole conversational nature is actually the big advantage of Chat GPT. So the chat in GPT is what I believe is the strength. And of course, all the language models and whatnot
0: it's incredible to watch and and like you've now got like people creating these careers where they're telling you like prompts and how to better engage with chat gpt like they're they're creating niches for themselves immediately and it's um it's fascinating and i saw a linkedin post yesterday where someone had queried something with salesforce support and salesforce support had come back with this answer and and then the 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 gentleman had actually asked the question to chat Chat gpt and the answer was like almost identical to what salesforce support had said and he he was like asked. Salesforce support using chat GBT. I mean, who knows, right? But that, that's an obvious um, use case, right? To be able to support, like, solve support queries. And and yeah, like you said, just conversational, like it's a chat function. You could easily just think you're speaking to a support agent.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's, it's also when you want it, where you want it. It's super important, right? Think about cloud computing, SaaS, platform as a service. I mean, it was And this device, right? Like, why did iPhone become super viral? It was information when you wanted it, where you wanted it. The integrated nature, and Slack, ChatGPT has got this whole plugin model. I've not really read much about it. But Canva, which is an amazing SaaS startup that I actually love, based out of Australia, they're introducing and they're like, just tell me what you want. And it generates a completely new picture, icon, background, Suddenly, I don't have to kind of like get a UX person or an illustrator to kind of build me something. ChatGPT does it. Dali, um, I sketch on the site and I, I'm a more visual guy and I love Dali. And that's also from the same organization that Ch- ChatGPT did where I can give you a prompt and it'll generate an amazing image.
0: I've never heard of that.
1: Yeah, D-A-L-L-E uh, is how it's done. So OpenAI, E, and there's several models. Stable Diffusion is another one and it's starting to do photorealistic images. Uh, I'll do a shout out for Ike. Ike Waugh is a content creator for Salesforce. He does a ton of hilarious videos. And he actually posted on LinkedIn, how in real life, some of the Salesforce mascots would look like. It's fantastic. It's photorealistic. It's awesome, right? Like, yes, it's kind of like a fun thing, but sure, right? I, I, I think it's it's, and there's a lot to come in terms of the enterprise. I've still not seen a true enterprise grade business case for it. People are like, you can send emails with it, you can automate and make it more effective and personalized, but it's not going to magically do something for you. Because I think it all is outward facing. Like that's the other thing with ChatGPT and AI. It's all outward facing the edge, as I call it. It's working on the edge where sales and your customers meet. But what People don't realize is that there is a whole lot of inward-facing stuff that no one's actually tackling, and to me, that defines the enterprise.
0: My next point was around collaboration, and do you think that's an area that hasn't evolved, like internal collaboration? Yes,
1: hundred percent. Let's take the journey, right? Like, you know, even chat as a construct. There was probably IRC chat and some of the geeky, nerdy ones way back when the internet was started. But really, chat kind of became popular because of a company called AOL. AOL Instant Messenger, like they started kind of the concept of chat.
0: Was this before MSN Messenger?
1: It was probably around the time. But AOL Messenger, for whatever reason, was really, really popular in the US. Um, I was back back in India, but our colleagues would use that. And we would just, it was just as if that person was there now. Video calls didn't exist. Audio calls didn't exist. It was the day, days of Skype and whatnot. I think the notion of chat rooms hasn't changed. Facebook arguably changed it a little bit with this notion of feeds. And then they added AI with recommended feeds and sponsored feeds. And it's kind of gotten complicated and political and whatnot. So that was probably a, a good leap in terms of collaboration. And then Salesforce with the announcement of Chatter probably brought that into the enterprise. And then rapidly, every other enterprise SaaS application started to do that, right? SAP had Jam, Microsoft bought Yammer, integrate that. It's called Beaver Now. Every enterprise app had this bubble with a chat icon next to it. and suddenly you had all of these collaboration aspects. And, and my hypothesis and you know, I felt like we went from MSN Messenger, Yahoo Messenger, AOL Messenger to probably the dominant three to enterprise collaboration to about eight different tools that had enterprise collaboration. So you went from these single point collaboration tools where at least you had one place where you could all collaborate to these islands of collaboration, right? If you look in a typical enterprise, you've got salespeople using Salesforce. You've got finance people that are probably living in Excel spreadsheets, SharePoint and whatnot. You've got operations people living somewhere else. You've got accounts receivable people living in Oracle Finance or SAP Finance. ER people living in SAP. You've got culture teams and employee teams probably looking at Slack or Teams. You've got meetings with customers in Slack teams, WebEx, Google Meet. I've, I've named at least 12 tools that have enterprise collaboration. So you've got collaboration tools, you've got enterprises, and there's this crisscross of like tools, which is kind of causing a lot of overload to the head. I believe, and there are tools that are starting to turn this around and go this direction. What happened was collaboration became a feature of every application that you use. And what that means is that you've got collaboration across so many different enterprises, uh, applications, which means that you're having conversations in 10 different It's almost like you being in the room, you being in the house, and you're having 10 different conversations in 10 different rooms. And you somehow have to put this together and figure out, what am I? Like, that's too much overload. I believe the world of enterprise collaboration is where applications fit into a collaboration fabric. So you're turning the heads around and saying, don't get collaboration into the app, bring app into the collaboration. And I think ChatGPT is probably doing this because it is the collaboration fabric and it's bringing the world of internet into the chat. And I believe that should get translated into the enterprise, in the enterprise collaboration space. I've not seen anyone do it well thus far.
0: This must be um, like Salesforce's play with Slack, right? I guess their vision is that people live in Slack and everything else is brought into Slack.
1: I would say partially, and I say partially because till my time at Salesforce, I think Slack has promised. When Salesforce announced that they were acquiring Slack, I was so happy because prior to that, Salesforce didn't have a true collaboration platform. Yes, Slack has that promise, But up until now, and I I know they announced Slack GPT, which again feels like just a bolt-on. Thus far, all I've seen with Slack have been bots where you're asking a question and there's a structured response. Maybe Slack GPT might change that. Till date, does not have natural language processing or natural language understanding built-in. And collaboration is very, very unstructured. You have, imagine you're in a team sales environment the manager's asking, hey, what's the forecast? What's happening to this deal? Will it close this quarter? What's the next steps? Like all of these are like just conversations that you're having. And it's about data that's in your CRM. It's about data in your marketing. It's data about in your service. Yet the person swivels, looks at it and says, copy, paste, this is the update. And I believe that is the opportunity for Slack. That's the opportunity for Teams. That's the opportunity for every other enterprise. IM app is exactly that. Listeners that are interested in this concept, if you want to riff on that a little bit, by all means, find me on LinkedIn. I'm happy to chat more about this.
0: Yeah, awesome. Let's move on to like the more the, the current days so we've unpacked your journey and, and what's kind of gripped you over the years. But you've recently moved from an architect role and, and leading big programs of work. And like you said, the last program was 20 odd months and you've moved into a CTO role for a product company. So to me, obviously, you're, you're utilizing all of the experience you've gained over the years. But does your mindset have to change from being an architect to being a CTO? I
1: would say not really. And that this is me. Uh, Because I looked at projects and programs while I was doing it at Salesforce as problems and patterns uh, versus, hey, I need to go solve this DevOps problem. Okay, I solved it. I forget about it. Go to my next program. I need to solve the same DevOps problem, solve it, move on. I need to sell the same. There is a pattern to this, right? Right from like 2008, when I joined Salesforce, I've always been this, there's a pattern to all this, right? Like one of my patents in the US uh, was for a tool called metadata.io. And this was conceptualized by me and my friend uh, Ganesh in 2009, when Copado, Flossum, Autorabbit, Gearset, none of them existed. And what we essentially patented was this notion of CICD on platform, on a SaaS model, uh, with the ability to do diffs across. So I've always seen and had this passion for looking at patterns, which is what brought me into S-stocks, of course, I knew the founder and chairman, Dan, who is also a Salesforce architect. So if you're an architect, and there's two architects, right? So architects that are looking at problems and problems as problems that you solve. And architects that look at problems as patterns that you continue to accumulate. When someone says, hey, we have this thing, I'm like, well, I've actually got that solution in a pattern catalog. Let me pull that out and say this is what we did, right? So that's what kind of brought me into the world of this. So so it was a natural transition for me. And of course, being a technologist, it kind of was a kid in a candy store for me because I get to play with a lot more technologies with a lot more focus on a problem. So that was kind of like the big transition for me.
0: So what what is it that's uh, most exciting for you then in playing in this world? I work for a company called s As you can see on
1: my logo my shirt, our key value proposition is we take the work out of workflow. And that's super important, right? And a few minutes ago, I talked about the edge and the chat GPT, right? So in a typical enterprise, you've got the front office, that is the sellers, the agents, the marketing people that are touching customers with marketing campaigns. You've got the basement office or the back office, which is AR, finance, HR to an extent, all of that, right? Where those are critical systems, uh, security, all of that, right? Infrastructure. Both sides of this inner edge and the outer edge, if I can call it that, are well served by enterprise applications today, right? Salesforce solves for sellers, for service agents, for marketing. Workday solves for HR. Oracle Finance solves for finance. ERP is solved by SAP and many other companies like that. But there's a huge body of work in the middle, which I call it the middle office. And it's otherwise called operations. You've got sales operations, service operations, marketing operations, HR operations, finance operations. They are the unsung heroes of the enterprise. Uh, I've been way too close to sales deals at Salesforce. Why do they not get any love from anyone, right? Like sales guys are like, I need to get this deal done, approve this pricing. Like they are just a clearinghouse and it's extremely unstructured, no automation. They live in Excel, Slack, email, Word documents, and gosh, sometimes post-it notes and, you know, people just walk by and say, what the heck? So for me, there is this huge opportunity of overlap between automation and operation. That to me is where I'm most excited about s because s today is in the document automation world. So we saw the document operation automation side of things. But there's a whole set of other worlds out there just in that middle office that got me excited about it. And that's what I'm hoping to take the company.
0: Yeah, awesome. And I can tell the excitement, like it's said, you know, a new challenge, something that you can throw yourself into and solve a problem that no one else is solving.
1: Yeah. And and if anyone's interested about it, if you have a sales ops person that I can speak to, to gain research on that and insights, uh, by all means, find me on LinkedIn. Ben can probably publish my work email. I have no problems reaching out to me on my work email. And I'd love to talk because the more you talk, the more value. The problem space is what I'm trying to define. 100%.
0: 100%. Yeah, and, and I know that that world is very repetitive as well, right? So the, They're solving the same problems over and over for so many different people, but the people that they're solving the problems for don't acknowledge it's the same problem that's already been solved.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, and I'm hoping ChatGPT will, or GPT or Generative AI might have a, a stronghold there because it's repetitive and it's unstructured. There's a lot of promise there.
0: Well, look, I, uh, I must say I've really, really enjoyed the chat. It's been awesome to to unpack your journey and, and get into to your, your mind and, and how you see things evolving. So thank you so much. You've already um, mentioned where people can find you, so email or, or, or LinkedIn. So um, yeah, we'll post that. But honestly, um, thanks so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Ben. And thank you for staying up late and awesome questions. And you know, again, you're an inspiration to me.
1: I would love to do a podcast in the the future. I just got so busy, but love how structured and thoughtful you are with your questions and how you pick your judges. So um, thank you for doing this and thank you for teaching me something.
0: My pleasure. Thank you. So that's a wrap for this week's episode. And thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the chat. And if you did, please make sure you have subscribed for future episodes that are coming through. I would also be very grateful if you would consider leaving a review on your chosen podcast platform as five-star reviews will help us to reach more trailblazers from across the world. I look forward to sharing another episode with you soon and thanks again.